Part One, Chapters One and Two, of Bonaventure, a Prose Pastoral of Acadian Louisiana. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Bonaventure, a Prose Pastoral of Acadian Louisiana by George W. Cable. Part One, Carancro. Chapter One, Sosten. Bayou Teche is the dividing line. On its left is the land of bayous, lakes, and swamps. On its right, the beautiful short-turfed prairies of western Louisiana. The Vermilion River divides the vast prairie into the countries of Atakapa on the east and Opelousa on the west. On its west bank, at its head of navigation, lies the sorry little town of Vermilionville, near about which on the north and east the prairie rises and falls with a gentle swell, from whose crests one may, as from the top of a wave, somewhat overlook the surrounding regions. Until a few years ago, stand on whichever one you might, the prospect stretched away fair and distant, in broad, level, or gently undulating expanses of crisp, compact turf, dotted at remote intervals by farms, each with its low-roofed house nestled in a planted grove of oaks, or oftener pride-of-china trees. Far and near, herds of horses and cattle roamed at will over the plain. If for a moment, as you passed from one point of view to another, the eye was shut in, it was only where, in some lane, you were walled in by fields of dense tall sugar-cane or cotton, or by huge green Chickasaw hedges, studded with their white-petaled, golden-centered roses. Eastward the plain broke into slight ridges, which by comparison with the general level were called hills, while toward the north it spread away in quieter swells with more frequent fields and larger houses. North, south, east, and west, far beyond the circle of these horizons, not this parish of Lafayette only, but St. Landry, St. Martin, Iberia, St. Mary's, Vermilion, all are the land of the Acadians. This quarter off here to northward was named by the Nova Scotian exiles in memory of the land from which they were driven, the Beaubassin. These small homestead groves that dot the plain far and wide are the homes of their children. Here is this one on a smooth green billow of the land, just without the town. It is not like the rest, a large brick house, its Greek porch half hid in a grove of oaks, on that dreadful day more than a century ago when the british in far-off acadie shut into the chapel the villagers of grand pre a certain widow fled with her children to the woods and there subsisted for ten days on roots and berries until finally the standing crops as well as the houses being destroyed she was compelled to accept exile and in time found her way with others to these prairies her son founded Vermilionville. Her grandson rose to power, sat in the Senate of the United States. From early manhood to hale gray age, the people of his state were pleased to hold him, now in one capacity, now in another, in their honored service. They made him senator, governor, president of convention, what you will. 
I have seen the portrait for which he sat in early manhood to a noted English court painter. Dark, waving locks, strong, well-chiselled features, fine, clear eyes, an air of warm, steady, glowing intellectual energy. It hangs still in the home of which I speak, and I have seen an old ambrotype of him taken in the days of this story, hair short-cropped, gray, eyes thoughtful, courageous, mouth firm, kind, and ready to smile. It must have been some years before this picture was taken that, as he issued from his stately porch, which the oaks, young then, did not hide from view as they do now, coming forth to mount for his regular morning ride, a weary-faced woman stood before him, holding by the hand a little toddling boy. She was sick, the child was hungry. He listened to her tale. Their conversation was in French. "'Widow, are you? And your husband was a Frenchman. Yes, I see. Are you an Acadian? You haven't the accent.' "'I am a Creole,' she said, with a perceptible flush of resentment, so that he responded amiably, "'Yes, and like all Creoles, proud of it, as you are right to be. But I am an Acadian of the Acadians, and never wished I was anything else.' He found her a haven, a good half-day's ride out across the prairies northwestward, in the home of his long-time acquaintance, Sosten Grodnego, who had no more heart than his wife had to say no to either their eminent friend or a houseless widow, and, as to children, had so many already that one more was nothing. They did not feel the burden of her, she died so soon, but they soon found she had left with them a positive quantity in her little, prattling, restless, high-tempered Bonaventure. Bonaventure des Champs. He was just two years younger than their own little Zosephine. Sosten was already a man of some note in this region, a region named after a bird. Why would it not often be well so to name places for the bird that most frequents the surrounding woods or fields? How pleasant to have one's hamlet called Nightingale or Whippoorwill or Goldfinch or Oriole. The home of Zosephine and Bonaventure's childhood was in the district known as Carancro, in bluff English, Carrion Crow. Part One, Chapter Two: Bonaventure and Zosephine. They did not live à la chapelle, that is, in the village of six or eight houses clustered about the small wooden spire and cross of the mission chapel. Sosten's small ground-story cottage, with garret stairs outside in front on the veranda, and its five-acre farm behind, was not even on a highway, nor on the edge of any rich bas-fond, creek-bottom. It was au large, far out across the smooth, unscarred turf of the immense prairie, conveniently near one of the clear, circular ponds, Marais, which one sees of every size and in every direction on the seemingly level land. Here it sat as still as a picture within its hollow square of china trees, which every third year yielded their limbs for fuel, as easy to overlook the first time, as easy to see the next time, as a bird sitting on her eggs. 
only the practised eye could read aright the infrequent obscure signs of previous travel that showed the way to it sometimes no more than the occasional soilure of the short turf by a few wheels or hoofs where the route led into or across the coulee rivulets that from marais to marais slipped southward toward the great marshes of the distant unseen gulf when i say the parent of one of these two children and guardian of the other was a man of note i mean for one thing his house was painted that he was the owner of thousands of cattle one need not mention for so were others who were quite inconspicuous living in unpainted houses rarely seeing milk never tasting butter men who at call of their baptismal names would come forth from these houses barefooted and bareheaded in any weather and while their numerous progeny grouped themselves in the doorway one behind another in inverse order of age and stature would either point out your lost way or quite as readily as sostenne ask you in beneath a roof where the coffee-pot never went dry or grew cold by day nor would it distinguish him from them to say he had many horses or was always well mounted it was a land of horsemen one met them incessantly men in broad hats and dull homespun with thin soft untrimmed brown beards astride of small but handsome animals in mexican saddles the girths and bridles of plaited hair sometimes a pial or ariat lasso lariat of plaited rawhide coiled at the saddle-bow adieu onesime always adieu at meeting the same as at parting adieu francois adieu christophe adieu lazare and they with their gentle brown-eyed wild animal gaze adieu what did make sostenne notable was the quiet thing we call thrift made graceful by certain rudiments of taste to say sostenne means madame sostenne as well and this is how it was that zosephine gradnego and bonaventure deschamps though they went not to school nevertheless had advantages for instance the clean hard scrubbed cypress floors beneath their pattering feet the neat round parti-coloured mats at the doors that served them for towns and villages the strips of home-woven carpet that stood for roads this one to mermanteau that one to cote jalet a third a la chapelle the walls of unpainted pine the beaded joists under the ceiling the home-made furniture bedsteads and wardrobes of stained woods and hickory chairs with rawhide seats hair uppermost the white fringed counterpanes on the high feather beds especially in the principal room the house's one mantelpiece of wood showily stained in three colours and surmounted by a pair of gorgeous vases beneath which the two children used to stand and feast their eyes worth fifty cents if they were worth one these were as books to them indoors and out in the tiny garden where they played wild horse and wild cow and lay in ambush for butterflies they came under the spell of marigolds princess feathers lady slippers immortelles portulaca jonquil lavender althea love apples sage violets amaryllis 
and that grass ribbon they call Jartière de la Vierge, the Virgin's Garter. Time passed. The children grew. The children older than they in the same house became less and less like children, and began to disappear from the family board and roof by a mysterious process called marrying, which greatly mystified Zosephine, but equally pleased her by the festive and jocund character of the occasions, times when there was a ravishing abundance of fried rice-cakes and boulettes, beef-balls. To Bonaventure these affairs brought less mystery and less unalloyed pleasure. He understood them better. Some boys are born lovers. From the time they can reach out from the nurse's arms they must be billing and cooing and choosing a mate. Such was ardent little Bonaventure, and none of the Grodnico weddings ever got quite through its ceremony without his big blue eyes being found full of tears, tears of mingled anger and desolation, because by some unpardonable oversight he and Zosephine were still left unmarried so that the pretty damsel would have to take him aside and kiss him as they clasped, and promise him, next time, next time without fail. Nevertheless, he always reaped two proud delights from these events. For one, Sosten always took him upon his lap and introduced him as his little creole. And the other, the ex-governor came to these demonstrations, the great governor, who lifted him to his knee and told him of those wonderful things called cities, full of people that could read and write, and about steamboats and steam cars. At length one day, when weddings had now pretty well thinned out the ranks of Sosten's family, the ex-governor made his appearance, though no marriage was impending. Bonaventure, sitting on his knee, asked why he had come, and the ex-governor told him there was war. "'Do you not want to make haste and grow up and be a dragoon?' The child was silent, and Sosten laughed a little as he said privately in English, which tongue his exceptional thrift had put him in possession of. "'Ah, oh, no,' nah, he shook his head amusedly. "'He don't like hoss. Go to put him on hoss, he kick like a frog. Yah, squeal worse'n a pig.' But still, some time, you know, he ain't no coward. Get mad in minute. Fight like little old ram. Don't understand that little fella. He love flower like he was a gal. He ought to go to school, said the ex-governor. And Sosten, half to himself, responded in a hopeless tone, Yas. Neither Sosten nor any of his children had ever done that. End of Part 1, Chapter 2